following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. My name is Matt Perez. And my name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. Taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Rocket Mortgage and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Thinking about blast processing. You remember blast processing? Oh, do I know about blast processing? Come on now. I know way too much about blast processing. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of less of a of a pronoun and more of a proper noun. And I feel like we know about blast processing not necessarily because it was this relevant technology, but purely because it was the marketing ploy Sega decided to use in the late 90s to compete with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. All those crazy adverts that are just like attacking Nintendo, which I think at the time probably a little bit deserved. If you know about the history, they were pretty ruthless and mon- like mon- monopolistic. Well, how do you say that? There mono- you go. Monopolistic, monolithic, <laughs> monocultural. I think all of it. You know, that's all just, pretty accurate. You know. Yeah, just mono things. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally feel you. And I mean, yeah, really at the time, I'm trying to think of who kind of dominated that market in the console context. It was just kind of Nintendo. What was the phrase they had at the time? Was it, it was, who had Nintendo or Nintendo? That's Sega. Was that Sega yeah. or was that, that was Sega. Okay. Yeah. It was so, like Genesis can do what Nintendo don't, which is just. Right. <laughs> which was perfect. So for at the time in the boardroom meeting, I'm sure there were lots of pats on the back. Mm-hmm. Oh what, God! What, yeah, <laughs> I I remember. So it, it was the '90s, and they come out of nowhere, and they're like Mario. He's so slow. We've got this dude. He's running fast. He's going through stages. We're platforming. It's gonna go real quickly because Sega's for the cool, edgy, trapper keeper, <laughs> Lisa Frank loving. <laughs> kid like that kid yeah. like that cool kid you know it was definitely a he, he, to the cool kid yeah he has a skip it he has some moon shoes he you know he gets around you know when he slams his foot onto the ground those shoes sparkle man <laughs> those la lights they go off <laughs> those red and pink lights they shine up <laughs> it definitely yeah, it definitely was a thing though because like I just remember like growing up in the 90s and I had a Nintendo console because that's just the one my parents bought. Uh, but like I got defensive about it because I'm like, listen, Mario runs faster than Sonic, period. I don't care what y'all say. Like, if you know what you're well, doing, Mario so goes real faster. talk, real talk. I mean, they, you know, there's all this talk about Sonic being fast and that game being about like urgency and gotta go fast. But what's funny is with Sonic. The, the the I mean with Mario when you play Mario like you kind of have a time limit in which you have to finish the stage and if you don't and the timer reaches zero you die. Meanwhile in Sonic the timer goes up seemingly infinitesimally and you don't really like 
there isn't really any urgency at all. You can totally take your time. So you don't really have to go fast. Mm-hmm. Going fast is optional is what I'm saying. And they're telling you you got to go fast. And, like, you really got to <laughs> go fast. See, it's Not marketing. at all. <laughs> but it totally is a thing where, like, I, I know a lot about Nintendo versus Sonic because I've watched the countless videos on YouTube and, like, the books about it and all the – all the fun little trivia and all that about console wars, but uh, there is like definitely an overlooked aspect that are still is... being made. By the way, I was just oh, on yeah. YouTube, and there are still new ones. We haven't, we won't let it go. <laughs> but please go on, go on. <laughs> There's no point of saturation on YouTube. Okay, get real. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But there is uh, an overlooked. I mean, it's it's definitely like it's one of those cool little rumors. Or not rumors, a little piece of trivia. Um, but the full story, I don't know. I, I really don't know it as well as Nintendo versus Sega, but it's uh, Sony's inclusion in all of that. And uh, I think the big piece of trivia that everyone, not everyone, but you know, a lot of people know is that Nintendo and Sony almost had a partnership to make a PlayStation, to make like a CD-ROM version of you know a Nintendo console. But beyond that, Correct. you know... Uh, and and Nintendo and also there was some software there like they announced that there was going to be some kind of Final Fantasy that was coming out for it. I think at the time, what they were they were at the time they were slating Final Fantasy VII to come out for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, it was you know even after the split, there was kind of like a little bit of a situation with uh, with Nintendo and SquareSoft. But oh, yeah, it, it ultimately didn't pan out because they couldn't fit a game that large on on one cartridge. Mm-hmm. And cartridges at the time were like fifty dollars, like at retail. So it, co- it, I mean, it would have cost a lot to split that across three, four cartridges. Versus, they were able to put it on a couple discs for a lot uh, cheaper for the PlayStation. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember seeing like an old, uh, an old Forbes article. Not to be super on brand, but there's an old Forbes article about SquareSoft and like how they really were like a secret weapon for Nintendo. And then it's like, oh man, in a few years, this <laughs> giant game is not going to be on Nintendo's consoles, like, and like that's like a huge blow. But like, yeah, there's to- and and I think people know about Nintendo Philips CDI, which is like, whew. oh my gosh, <laughs> yes, I remember a whole thing, yeah, its own monster, its own <laughs> Zelda monster, yeah. I think around the time that like the GameCube came out. Um, I used to read Electronic Gaming Monthly a ton, and they put out, like, their 150th issue, and it had, like, the 100 best games ever. And then it had, like, the 20 worst games ever. And I remember, like, number two being a a three-way tie of, like, the CDI Zelda games. And I was like, wait, what are these games? And it, like, totally, like, shattered, like, my perception (laughs) of, like, I was like, the Zelda series is, like... You know the IP is ruined. Yeah, yeah. It's like no way. There's a bad one of these. No, like, <laughs> yeah. So like, there's there's people like I guess like the nitty gritty kind of like dealings and all of that. Like I don't know that much about it actually. I know like Nintendo and Sega a lot, but yeah, definitely Sony. Uh, it's something I've uh, I don't know as much. No, I'm totally I'm totally with you. I mean, yeah, with with the exception of the collaboration, which I feel makes the rivalry even more interesting, um, I don't hear too much about it. I think the most I think about is like, oh man, like 
what, I mean, the Dreamcast already kind of, I mean, I guess Sega kind of did fail anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but that collaboration would have been like the nail in the coffin. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really glad that we got to dive into the details of that with Tristan and he was able to sort of be the guru on this very much underrated competition between the two companies, which apparently was way bigger in the UK where he's from. Uh, so he has a lot more information on it and was kind of sitting in the tension a little bit more. Uh, we should probably dive into that so yeah. our listeners and podcast link and hear how good that was. So yeah, we're going to talk to uh, Tristan Donovan. He's the author of Replay, the history of video games, and he just worked on the most recent series on Wondery's Business Wars focused on Sony and Nintendo. So uh, let's get into that. Thanks for joining us, Tristan. Great to be here. So can you tell us like a little about a little bit about yourself and uh, how you started down this road of re- like recounting gaming's history? Um, well, I started off as a journalist, and part of the journalism I did um, was about video games. So I wrote video game reviews, a few features for places, and this is sort of, what are we talking about, 2008, 2009. Um, I started wanting to know more about the history of video games, and so I looked around, and at the time there were something like three books, and... Being from the UK rather than the US, all those books were purely about what happened in the US, which is fine. But for me, it was like, well, there's none of my history here. It's all Nintendo Entertainment System, which really wasn't very big in the UK. So that inspired me to go do Replay. And really, since since then, I've sort of become more a sort of nonfiction book writer than um, a journalist. So I don't do much sort of video game journalism now, but do write the books. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like with this one you're doing with Business Wars, which is, you know, like they'll do Netflix versus Blockbuster. Uh, so yeah, can you tell us like a little bit about Sony versus Nintendo? Because I think like the focus is usually on Sony or no, Nintendo versus Sega during that period, right? Yeah, that was pretty unique to see that. Yeah, and I, I actually kind of think um, Sony versus Nintendo was the more important fight because... Um, that was really a kind of contest for what the future of video games were going to be like. On one hand, you had Nintendo, which was still playing the kind of, we're going to be family friendly. This is what games should be like. And Sony, which had no brand history in video games, coming along going, no, we're going to target young adults. Uh, we want to make video gaming kind of cool and excitable and something you shouldn't be ashamed of and not kiddy. Um, so it was, really different cultures they were going for and I I guess poor old Sega got stuck in the middle of these two giants kind of fighting got squeezed out in the end Um, you know Sega was important in breaking Nintendo's stranglehold um, on the video game industry but you know that clash between Sony and Nintendo really kind of defined the future direction of video games and we'll be right back after this quick break hiring every business needs great people and a better way to find them something better than posting your job online and just praying for the right people to see it ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for identifies the people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job these invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. 
Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. One more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Uh, ho- hopefully not revealing any any spoilers for anything that you might have published. I am curious to know, you know, choosing N- Nintendo and Sony, like a bunch of sparks kind of go off in my mind because the first thing that I think about is sort of like the rumored and kind of infamous Sony Nintendo collaboration system console. And there's sort of being some semblance of a partnership in the past. I'm curious to know, like in, in your research, like what you find went sour about that or, or, or how that might've made this whole rivalry interesting. Yeah. Well, that was pretty much the point where it all came from. Um, so obviously they started as partners and they had a falling out and, it's essentially about the terms of the contract. Um, essentially, Nintendo, on reflection, kind of looked at this contract and went, we're ceding too much control over our business to Sony in this deal. Um, and that was really where the problem kind of exploded from. And basically, over this clause in the contract, um, they fell out, and this sort of covered in episode one of the Business Wars podcast. Um, so essentially, they fell out and... Sony decided, well, we're going to do our own games console. That's pretty cool. I I actually had no idea that that was sort of like the spark that put them in the arena. That's great. What was always like really interesting to me is that like Nintendo has definitely like during that period and still like has that kid friendly sort of vibe to them. But like in like looking at their history with Sega and like with Sony during like the 90s, they're like ruthless, aren't they? They're like super like. I mean, they very much like want their grip on the software and being able to license and working with the developers. Like it, like the mon- m- like monopoly comes up a lot. Like, is that like accurate? That they are they were pretty, like pretty ruthless. Yeah, I mean, it's all cute and cuddly on the outside, but they they were ruthless business people. <laughs> Absolutely ruthless. Um, you know they. I mean, you you got to remember, they had like 90% of the video game industry was under their control in the late 80s. You know, basically what they said when if you annoyed Nintendo, well, you might not get to publish your game on their system and then you'll be left with trying to release a game on the PC and hoping you might sell 10,000 copies as opposed to a million. Um, Retailers would be scared that Nintendo wouldn't provide them with the product. I mean, it had enormous power at the time and it wasn't scared of using it either um you know which is partly why video games at the time were very kiddie because nintendo had all these content rules and it's like well you can't have anything we define as offensive everything's got to be family friendly so if you come to me with a game that we consider not being family friendly we won't let you publish it so i mean they were that's a kind of tyrants in a way and when when you did what they wanted they were kind of great to you but you know you had to tone the nintendo line that that's wild it, it feels very much like a like a sort of apple slash app store approach where they almost take responsibility for every third party involvement like they view even when they have a distribution platform they view it as a partnership rather than anything else i remember hearing the most about that when um 
when Edmund McMillan was trying to get uh, Binding of Isaac ported to the DS, and there was a whole big hubbub because of the religious undertones and how that would reflect on Nintendo. And I find that really funny that it's viewed in that way, but there there definitely is like a it definitely feels like a sort of walled Nintendo feels like they're running sort of like a walled garden context for a lot of things. You have to remember Sony and Microsoft are walled gardens as well. Um, they might not be so picky over the content, but they're, they're still there kind of getting where well, you've got to do it this way. So for example, Sony will have rules on, you know, um, the X button should work in a certain way and square button should work in that. So it's not, they're not so deep into controlling the content, but they're, you still have to play by Sony and Microsoft's rules if you want to publish on their consoles. Nintendo right, just right, right. seems to take it a little further. <laughs> didn't uh, did Se- like you mentioned Sega like as like a middleman? Didn't they? They probably had like a, a a decent hand in this like whole affair where. I guess, like, part of it is they're probably eating up a lot of market share from Nintendo, which opened up a lot of doors for Sony. But also, I, I weren't they even even talks in, with Sony as well to 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 do like their own sort of PlayStation console or CD console? Yeah, there was some preliminary talks. Um, so Sega at the time had a, a lot of internal kind of factions. So the US and Japan were kind of at loggerheads in many ways, um, and one option that did come up was the idea that Sony would work with Sega on taking on Nintendo. And if I remember correctly, Sega of Japan said, no, we don't want to do that. Um, so, and ironically, they also got offered um, the 3D graphics chips for the Nintendo 64 and turned that down as well. Um, so they, they had opportunities to maybe have changed the game quite a bit. But I guess that's something you're only going to see in retrospect, um, not at the time. Well, another thing with like retrospect is like looking back at like what a Nintendo PlayStation console would actually look like, and like how that would actually operate. And in like, I don't even know would would they even like make it to 2018? Because I feel like Nintendo and Sony, it, it probably makes more <laughs> sense. So they'd particular, be yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, you know what's funny? I even remember now that I'm thinking about it. Like I totally remember what it must have been late 90s, early 2000s. Like right on the brink when PS1 was coming out, they had those overt attacks. The series of uh, commercials where Crash Bandicoot standing outside a Nintendo's office with a megaphone and like taunting them. It's a whole situation. Kind of hearing the background of this make gives that way more weight than just like a friendly new like entry into the competition of uh, console wars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sony had a lot to prove. I mean, it had. No history in video games. They hadn't published a few. They were terrible. You know, it's, <laughs> there was a lot of people when Sony first kind of goes, well, we're going to get into video game console business. And there were a lot of people in the industry going, um, you make games based on movie cliffhanger and it was bad. And that's kind of your main claim to fame. And now <laughs> we're going to see you as leader. So, I mean, they, they had a lot to prove when coming out. And they really wanted to separate themselves from nintendo and what had come before and so some of those ads was all about you know moving that brand on and going we're sony we're different from the video game consoles you know from before i remember renting that game yeah (laughs) yeah well it's nice to know at the end of the day there is some semblance of harmony as all of sony nintendo and sega's at least one of their ips are on smash brothers at the end of the day (laughs) 
I'm curious with like I, it's like a, more of like a selfish question, but like I'm personally interested in like your research process and like where you're starting and like how do you go about dramatizing the action? Like what's where where do you push there and like get more quotes and more drama? And where do you like pull back a little bit and try to abstract it more? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mix. So obviously, you know, sort of the you know the scenes, if you like, um, that sort of help explain the story. You know, they're not verbatim. I wasn't obviously in the boardrooms when these decisions were being taken. Um, but basically, it's about piecing it together. So um, there'll be magazine reports from the Times, um, kind of interviews I may have done with people who give me an understanding of what happened there. Then I might find say. Um, some old video footage of Nintendo, which shows um, Hiroshi Yamaguchi's office. And so, okay, that's what it's going to look like. Um, then, you know, you get out of details. Um, you know, you might know um, one of them was a particularly quiet person. So you kind of implement that into how the conversation goes. So, you know, I guess it gets into a little bit of fiction, but you kind of know you know, this is roughly what happened. Some of the bits you have to fictionalize because otherwise you can't have a, a scene. But, you know, that, that's essentially how it gets pieced together, I guess. Usually, you know, there was a meeting. It was about this. This is what came out the other end. Um, these are the personalities involved. And then you start sort of rebuilding the rest from there. What's like a something that's like overlooked about this story? Um, I think what's overlooked now is... We, we tend to look back and think, ah, oh, Sony came along and it won the console wars. That, that's kind of what we tend to remember now. Um, I think we've forgotten how difficult it was. You know, Sony had no background in video games. Sony struggled against Sega in, in Japan. Um, and Nintendo came out fighting really hard. You know, it was never a done deal. Um, you know, it looks in retrospect like, ah, oh, Sony just kind of waltzed through. But um, they had a much tougher time than we tend to remember. And uh, I don't know. Do you still think like that there are like these uh, I, I don't know quote unquote console wars? Because like I for me like when I look around, I'm like, okay, Sony's doing extremely well, Nintendo's doing well, but they're kind of doing their own thing. And then Microsoft or Xbox is has the backing of Microsoft, so they're kind of doing their own thing as well. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's not as like crazy as it was in the 90s where like nintendo had like 90 percent of the market right and you had these like two underdogs coming and like betrayals and stuff i'd, I'd almost add a tack on to that question i am curious to know and i don't know if you've you've looked into it at all so please feel to let me know if you haven't like where i mean throughout all of this time like where has pc stood has there been greater engagement has there been lesser engagement like where are they in sort of this whole thing yeah well, I'll, I'll start with PC. So in the 90s, um, probably mid-90s is when PCs became gaming platforms. You know, at the time you had to buy a 3D graphics card, a sound card, and plug all this stuff in. I mean, it was you didn't have Steam. I mean, it was, an, it was a nightmare being a sort of PC gamer at the time. So, I mean, it only really just moved from being a business machine to a, a gaming system. And essentially, the, the thing with PCs is that like this evolving continuum, you know, they keep getting better, keep kind of chugging along. They don't really have a generational cycle like um, consoles do. So, you know, they're, they're kind of this constant and, you know, 
keeps getting bigger, but you know, it kind of trundles along. But the profits to be made are generally much smaller for the game publishers. So this is why the industry focuses so much on game consoles. But the PCs always been there driving things forward, being a bit more experimental. Um, you know, in, indie games wouldn't have happened without PCs. I mean, it was never going to happen until PCs did it, and then console manufacturers looked and went, oh, we'll take that idea too. Um, so that's PCs role, and they don't really have much impact on the console business. Um, it's kind of coexistence, I guess, for them. As for console wars now, um, yeah, I, th I think they're less intense. I think that's because the market's much bigger now. You know, there is space for all three console manufacturers to survive. Um, you know, some has Sony are doing it at the moment, so they're going to be doing much better. Um, but And others will lose, you know, maybe Nintendo with the Wii U is a good example where it can go particularly wrong. I, I guess the thing for all of them, though, is they do want that market share. They really want that market share because it's an expensive business to get into. And while Microsoft has very deep pockets, it doesn't want to spend forever just pouring millions into keeping the Xbox going if there's no return on it. Um, and same with Nintendo. So I think, you know, for ten, Nintendo actually is probably more important, these console wars, because Nintendo doesn't have another business. Nintendo is a video game business through and through. Sony's got other interests. Microsoft's got other interests. I mean, Xbox is actually quite a tiny bit of the Microsoft business. So um, it matters a lot for Nintendo, maybe less so for the other two. Yeah, they seem to be the only contender willing to make a console that m makes a good, like, uh, I guess makes a lasting impression about consoles. Like, it almost seems like when Xbox and play when 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 uh, Sony and Microsoft put out a new console, it becomes the speeds and feeds war, and it's like, my goodness, more hardware. This is like a really great. PC, like this is a really good, but Nintendo seems to be putting out different forms that make a really good argument for consoles rather than it sort of being this hyper proprietary uh, supercomputer. So uh, th that is really cool. I, I totally agree that Nintendo is doing something very, very important. Yeah, and I, I think Nintendo, you know, has always tried to do that to an extent. You know, it's got sort of this deep seated philosophy that it shouldn't just make more powerful systems it should make interesting and different systems to give people new experiences but i think also you know partly it has to do that now you know it, it was a philosophy to start with which you could see in things like the game boy which was really underpowered for the time um but now i think it has to do it out of necessity i mean it it can't win a war going we've made a console just like the playstation or the xbox they have to do something different, otherwise they're probably just not going to catch on. So Nintendo has to be much more creative than the other two. Totally agree. Well, Tristan, thanks so much for joining us. This has been really, this has been really insightful, and I, I love hearing about these kinds of like retrospective, com competitive rivalries between our favorite video game companies. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, where can uh, people uh, find uh, Business Wars and also your work? Um, it's, well, books are available on sort of um, online bookstores. Um, but um, the Wondery Business Wars podcast, I know it's on iTunes. It'll be on many other places where you can get podcasts. But 
as I tend to use iTunes, I don't really know where they are, but um, the Wondery website will probably have a full list of where you can get it. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Tristan. Thank you. Coming up next to Eric Kane and Paul Tassi discuss the Battlefield 5 reveal and why it's inevitably drummed up controversy. Coming up next, Paul Tassi and Eric Kane discuss the Battlefield 5 reveal and why it's inevitably drummed up controversy. But first, a quick break. Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassie. We are going to talk about Battlefield 5, which was just revealed this week, close on the heels of Black Ops 4. So kind of once again, the big... Uh, the big shooters of the year getting announced at the same time and actually releasing almost the exact same day this year, which is which is new. Um, if, if you have early access with EA, you actually get Battlefield 5 a day before Black Ops 4 comes out, and otherwise you you get it a week later. Uh, so it's interesting. That's so weird. Yeah. I don't know. That's, I don't know if I'd do that if I were them. I, know. I mean, it's just... I get that they're rivals, but eesh. <laughs> It's a little. It's a little risky. Yeah, it felt to me like EA was saying, "Oh, uh, you know, Activision's going to move there because because normally, you know, Call of Duty releases the first week of November every year, and this this year mm-hmm. they bumped it up, uh, possibly because of worries about Red Dead Redemption. Although those aren't really exactly competitors, but now I would say it's definitely. Yeah, better, I mean, it's, it's, I don't see what other reason there would be. Honestly, why move something up yeah. from a you know. A, but now they're, you know, I, I was sort of expecting EA to either try to get the jump on them and try to release in September, or you know, I don't know, like some other time. I guess they're, I guess they're in between a rock and a hard place, though. Yeah, I don't really know what other choice they have, so I, I guess it makes sense. But the closer they are to it, I, I don't know. I guess they're always pretty close to it, like usually within a week or two. But yeah, overlap with EA access should should prove interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. Yeah, me too. It, it, the whole thing is is. Interesting because, you know, uh, it, it, you wrote a post about this, about the, the YouTube likes and dislikes. What do you think is going on there? Because as you mentioned in that post, a couple years ago with Infinite Warfare, which was an Infinity Ward game for Call of Duty, uh, that trailer just got – I mean it got bombed. There was no way that many people actually hated the trailer, but it got bombed. It got downvoted so much on YouTube that it became the most hated trailer of all time. Uh, or YouTube video of all time. And um, now with Black Ops 4, it's 
fairly i mean it's it's been a little controversial but it's, it's better mostly, than usual in yeah. terms of like likes dislikes yeah it's it's positive and it's it's more positive noticeably than the battlefield 5 trailer right why is that which I mean, is not which is not underwater but close okay so i think i think it's a split here and i i want to be really generous and say that oh you know people just uh, are, are kind of upset about the tone of the trailer and they're not sure what to make of it. And like, cause it kind of looks like this sort of wackier alt history version of world war two, yeah. where people have, you know, uh, prosthetic arms yet are still in like the front lines of combat and are wielding like cricket bats and katanas and like just the whole, it's, it's all very colorful. People are wearing like bright blue face paint and like the whole vibe of it is just definitely not what I would expect from a world war two game, yeah. but that's kind of what I found interesting about it. Um, and then I, you know, it's, I don't, I just don't think it's as, as good of a trailer necessarily as what we saw in battlefield one, which was like this massively liked <laughs> trailer on YouTube that had, you know, this huge positive ratio. Yeah. Whereas this is like, it's not negative, but it's, it's getting close to negative. Um, the less generous part of me wants to think that it is in relation to the new controversy about how the trailer and kind of gameplay feature a, a woman front and center, um not a woman yeah <laughs> yeah no seriously but like that is the reaction where okay so to put this in context dice has been criticized the last few years for not including any playable women characters in their games whether they were modern day or world war one or kind of whatever you could play a woman um, so in, now, in world war one in the last one though there was a whole in, mission that, oh yeah okay in the campaign but like yeah. you couldn't choose that in multiplayer oh, i guess okay. um but now a big a big push of this version is complete customization where it's like any race any gender like crazy face paint like you know leather jackets with logos on them like prosthetic arms like it's it's fortnite. a whole thing now it's like essentially fortnite, yeah fortnite, it looks uh, a lot battle. more like fortnite <laughs> um and I, so like some people may be upset about that aspect of it but like it does seem to be a lot of like Battlefield has never been like the most historically accurate series in whatever time period it is, yeah. but suddenly people are very concerned about <laughs> portraying a British woman on the front lines of, of the war. And the, the idea is that it's quote unquote pandering to quote unquote SJW types mm. who uh, are, are cheering a, a disabled woman leading a World War II game when Clearly, it was the men who did all the work in that war, and this is just shameful. Is she disabled so, though? To me, it looked like she had like a mech arm, like it was like a, like a steampunk almost. You know, I don't think it's a mech arm. Like I saw a picture of someone who posted literally like a World War II prosthetic arm, and it looked identical to the one that they, that they were using there. So I, I don't huh. think it is mech. I will say it is a bit confusing, and like I thought you were about this where. I, I genuinely don't know if this is alt history. Like the the vibe I'm getting from it is that it's, I think it's more of like just bad company vibe where yeah. it's not like fully alt history, but the tone is, is definitely shifted enough to be like kind of more upbeat and jokey and like, you know, crazy stuff going on and, and like colorful characters as opposed to like, you know, what we saw in Battle, Battlefield one, which was kind of more very self-serious and like that, that worked for that game. But I think that's where some of the confusion is arising here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think tonally it's just, it's, it's a very, it, that whole presentation was kind of confusing and, you, you know, they, they presented this idea that it's like this very um, immersive, realistic, 
like the biggest, most immersive version of World War II we've ever been in. And then they, they played this trailer where not only did it seem totally different than what they were talking about, but then like I couldn't tell, is it supposed to be single player or multiplayer? Like what was that trailer showing us? You know, it looked, it looked. I thought that was single player. But they have like. That was my assumption. If you look at the HUD and stuff, it's like giving squads or squad spawn points and like showing other like multiplayer centric, uh, just, just words and cues on the screen. So it was very, I don't know. It was just a confusing um, trailer in general. So I think at least part of it. I think at least I mean I know there's that whole like the whole like SJW whatever thing going on but I think like I think it's just a lot of people kind of walked away scratching their heads like what is this game supposed to be Yeah and the weird part is is like I've heard because there, there was like a review event or there was a longer preview to like some journalists and content creators I don't think anyone from us went to that or saw no. that but supposedly whatever was shown there was like a lot better and made a lot more sense and like they kind of showed off all these different aspects of like why you know the changes they made and why things were good now and i think it got it painted kind of a more clear picture of the game which seems weird to not really do that in the big live stream reveal (laughs) event and kind of just condense everything down to you know a few minutes of a trailer it's i guess they're doing more reveals later but that was sort of a, a strange way to intro it and I think people were more confused than kind of, you know, Battlefield 1 had their kind of jaw-dropping opening spot that it was just unequivocally great. Whereas this was, like, kind of cool. Like, I kind of dug the vibe of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for, like, a bad company World War II type game. I think it would have been a lot more clear <laughs> if they made this, like, a bad company game, but it was just bad company World War II and just labeled it as that out of the gate. And then it would have been like, oh, okay, it's, <laughs> you know, that makes a lot more sense. Um but now this is supposed to be kind of a flat sequel, but really changing the tone, I think, from anything we've seen before it, unless unless it's not doing that. And that was just the tone of the trailer right. and everything else is is a lot more more normal than we're thinking it is. So that is a kind of confusing aspect of it. Um, it I don't know if that's responsible for all of the negative reaction. And I do think it is, unfortunately, a lot of the women stuff, which is very dumb. And I've spent too much time arguing about that on Twitter today. But <laughs> There's no point in arguing that on Twitter. It was, it, even, it was just even one guy, too. And I'm like, yeah, oh, even this is too much work to argue. It's, it's like... <laughs> it's just... It's exhausting. People just have to accept that that's where the the way the wind is blown now. I mean, you know, like, yeah, with this, the same thing with Call of Duty World War II last year, which is, you know, people are upset because there was, uh, you know, you could be a a black female Nazi. And yes, it's totally absurd, but it's just the easiest way to kind of just avoid that whole issue that that comes up to begin with. Like, you know, we want to have playable female characters in games. We want to have racial customization we want to be able to if we're going to have that in a game like just you're just going to have it like you know it's stop worrying so much about it is the point yeah i also don't think it's fair (laughs) to be like with pretty much all history games like i think it's fair to be like oh well you know white dudes just ran everything for thousands of years so like (laughs) you know tough craft like you have to just deal with it and like you have to relive the oppression of whatever race or gender you know in these games like i don't i don't think that's cool to say in in every instance like i get historical accuracy but also like yeah all these other races genders were treated very terribly in these historical periods so maybe it's not the worst thing in the world to play a little catch up in a fictional video game and yeah. 
you know, allow I think people that, to, you know, participate. I think there's room for nuance here. Like something like Battlefield or Call of Duty, which are these giant AAA games that are not particularly realistic and never really have been. And they're more about the multiplayer than about a story. Something like that, like who really cares? Now, I'm okay with something like Kingdom Come Deliverance being a little more like historically accurate. And I don't expect a game like that to have, you know, every race you can think of presented there in some little medieval hamlet in, you know, in the 14th century or whatever. I, I get that. And I, and I'm fine with, with some games that if that, if historic, historical accuracy is important, fine by all means. Like I wouldn't expect like a game about the, you know, the, the Chinese, uh, a Chinese empire or something to have a bunch of white people in it either. So I get that. But when it comes to these big games like Battlefield, really, honestly, it's just drumming up controversy to drum up controversy because these games are not. There's a moment in the trailer where a guy throws a grenade and another guy shoots it with a machine gun and it blows up a plane that's flying really, really low. Like, how is that accurate? Seems you know? legit. Yep. Yeah. I mean, first of all, planes don't fly that low. <laughs> they just don't. They can't fly that first low. First of all. Well, <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah, what you're saying about shades of nuance is like that's something that I was kind of having a debate online about earlier where it's people seem to think there's like, okay, you either have to be Wolfenstein or you have to be like perfectly historically accurate in all senses. <laughs> and I just there has to be room for some shades of gray in there. And like what yeah. what is the sliding scale where it's like suddenly like, oh, no, this isn't, you know, <laughs> okay anymore. Like it, I feel like there has to be kind of a middle ground between like mecca hitler and you know preserving every single bit of historical accuracy not that even if you just populated these games with solely white dudes like that even wouldn't be historically accurate because as many people right. have noted there were black soldiers and female soldiers in world war ii but also like that's just the the fact of gameplay like there isn't a guy who murders you know 300 people a mission like you're gonna play in Oh sure, in Battlefront yeah. One or Battle, you know, Battlefront Battlefield Five or whatever. So, like, where where do you draw that line? Like, do you just are there no respawns? Is this a permadeath game? Because that's more <laughs> accurate. Like, it's yeah. I feel like you yeah. get into kind of goofy territory, and then when suddenly you're like, okay, well, there was there were female snipers, but there were no female uh, frontline yeah. British officers uh, with mecha arms. Like, it's okay. <laughs> just the, the, the problem is that is who we're talking about here. Like, there are. On the one hand, people who are, you know, are never going to be happy no matter how diverse games become. They're always going to find something that's, you know, culturally appropriating this or whatever. There's those people that are kind of like the wacky fringe over on the left or whatever. And then you've got gamers, like a lot of gamers who really obsess over this stuff, like in an unhealthy way, you know, uh, it's like, like who I just can't imagine worrying about it so much. But these there are people that just really, really get down to every little detail and they're so worried that the you know, quote unquote SJWs are taking over games that every little thing is going to be, you know, a, a, a red flag or a trigger. Yeah. Well, and they're, they're down to every little detail when it's about issues like this. They weren't right. down to every little detail when it was like all the other massive historical inaccuracies at in all these games. So yeah. yeah, because they see it as like bowing to pressure from these, you know, from the, the feminists or whatever else. And yeah, but like, know, I, I, I don't think that's making anything worse. Like, even right. if it is bowing to pressure, like I the games aren't losing anything. I, I, I don't know. At least well, here's in, what my, I've, in my view. I think that people, you know, the gaming industry in general has been, you know, kind of bad at storytelling. Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, there's been some good stories in games, of course. But 
for the most part, stories and games are not fantastic. And I think that, you know, the, the risk here is that they, that, that we do just get, you know, black female Nazis instead of getting interesting stories about minorities and women and things like that. You know, I, I would hope that in the effort to make the video game industry more diverse, we actually do it in a way that, that, tells good stories and increases what those stories are about rather than just like, Oh, now you can, now you can have, you know, this character customizer and that makes it diverse. I mean, it doesn't really make it diverse, but yeah, that's like the far cry five problem where, (laughs) Oh, we're going against this, you know, mostly white militant Christian cult. And like, you can customize your own race or gender in that game. And it has absolutely no impact in the storytelling yeah. whatsoever. Cause like that, that was just kind of like a quick exactly. and easy, like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. You're whatever race you want to be. And like that, it never comes up in the game, even though it probably should have. So it's, I, there I, are also I more black just, people. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, there, in, in, in the cult itself. Yeah. Yeah. There are more black people in that video game than there are in Montana. That's just that's just the truth. And there are like no Native Americans in that video game, which is the actual minority group that would be represented in Montana if, that, if you yes. actually go there, you know? So mm-hmm. they, they, that, that's the risk that I see with this kind of move towards just trying to like create diversity for diversity's sake. Like I think Far Cry 5 would have been really interesting if they had had a white supremacist cult, you know, with no black people in it, no Mexican people in it, because it was, I mean, that's what a, a cult like that. I mean, I know they weren't really white supremacists, but in a Montana setting like that, there are a lot of white supremacist groups up in like Idaho, um, Western Montana. So it would have really fit the setting. And then like, if they'd had like, you know, a part, part of the area be part of the Indian reservation up there, you know, and had some native Americans. Uh, I just think then you would have created a more accurate picture, still had a diverse, um, a realistically diverse game. And I think that's what, you know, it's not real. Like you said, it's not realistic to have all these games just filled with white people, but we should have stories that actually make sense. You know, it's not just like a commercial that has like, you know, the Asian kid, the black kid, the the Hispanic kid and the white kid, just so that there's, a, you know, the rainbow. Yeah. You gotta like have a, like, it feels like a stepping stone where, okay, well, it's right. like, well, at least they're doing this now. And then maybe next time they'll keep building on it and doing more interesting things with that. So right. it's not, it's definitely not the whole solution, but I think it's better than, nothing which is where we have been yeah. for you know a decade so well and in the big scheme of things like the risk it represents to games is super super minimal like i don't see how this is going to actually the like risk. make games yes. worse <laughs> right this is what people present it as though i'm not i'm not saying it is but like you know people present this you know th- the sjw threat or whatever as this big risk to video games and i think partly that's because of some of the people you know pr- promoting those ideas don't really seem like they actually enjoy games. I mean, some of the, you know, you hear a lot of people say, you know, well, these games are causing violence and they're sort of the same people saying this other stuff. And that's of course, I think total hogwash, but, um, but really like, you know, having more women in games, is just going to be great. Like, I, I, would no, say no that, I would say that I would say that this quote unquote, you know, SCW influence is making some games, demonstrably better like i i would say god of war as an example of that where oh, yeah. the entire plot of that is kratos essentially you know dealing with his toxic masculinity which is like kind of a big yeah. a big buzzword but like that is kind of the point of that game and like yeah it's not it doesn't go all the way like he's still like kind of a violent crazy person but the, the, the threads of that story <laughs> it's about a war yeah was that he's kind of fighting against his nature and they i think they really made a, a concerted effort to analyze how they treated women in that series where they're not just like 
a quick time event sex scene like they were in you know the other three games right and you know how they how they portrayed freya as a mother and then the presence the kind of the unseen presence of of the other mother and i i think they kind of took a long hard look at themselves and how they portrayed portrayed both masculinity and femininity in that series and the game was a really awesome game in part because of that like yeah it was great because of combat visuals and all that stuff too but in terms of the story threads I really thought that made the game better. So that that's one example I can cite where it's it's made the game get better. And if you cite other examples of things getting worse, like oh no, Dead or Alive Beach Beach Volleyball isn't being ported to the U.S. because because of no. you know the controversies. <laughs> like okay, well, what we're gaining and what we're losing, you know, let's let's weigh the scales here and see which is actually better. Yeah, it's funny you bring up God of War because that game ended up getting criticized for promoting toxic masculinity from certain corners of, of the commentariat. And I think that's kind of hilarious because as you say, it is very obviously a response to, to sort of the, I have seen this one corner and I swear it's like three people where pretty much if there are, I'm not going to start naming names, but like if there is any amount of violence in a game perpetrated to or against any gender it's still bad and like i agree that i agree that you know (laughs) games should probably move past violence as a primary mechanic in like 99 percent of cases because like it does get a little overwhelming but i don't think every game with violence deserves that critique like i don't i don't it's that's kind of a bridge too far for me but i'm also not going to spend too much time worrying about those exact same three people whenever this comes up right right it becomes a cult of personality and and all that yeah I, i mean i think that they're I think that really the, the truth of the matter is, is that even while we're talking about Battlefield Five, which is going to be a game about violence, that in this day and age, there are games about any, just so many things. Like speaking of diversity, the, the diversity of choice in the gaming industry right now is just crazy. I mean, there are so many puzzle games and indie games and, and nonviolent games, story-driven games. And, I mean, I can't keep, keep up with half of it, uh, but I, I think... You know, yeah, in that each, sense, it's kind of better than be it's ever thing. been. So it's, right. I think it it's, really it's moving. You know, everything's just expanding outward. So if you if that's your thing and that's what you want to play, there are way more games in that those genres than there used to be because there's just way more games. Yeah. Period. So, you know, I, I think the industry is is expanding in significant ways. Um, well, well, retaining you know the the kind of classic games that people also like that are usually mostly violence focused, which is not the end of the world in and of itself. And I think you know we're still getting a lot of great games out of that too. Yeah, and, and then something like Call of Duty World War II, which had all that controversy about black female Nazis or whatever, you know. Like, how much did that actually matter once you're in the match? Zero. And you don't even you really can't notice. Even like. <laughs> you're never that close <laughs> to anyone to even see. So, like, it just the, the call-outs maybe. But, like, again, like, it, the point yeah. is, is it really didn't matter and it didn't make the game it worse. So, like, who was it really harming, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't for the life of me. I mean, it didn't obviously didn't hurt sales either. I mean, people just played it and enjoyed it. Yeah. And well, circling, circling back to, uh, to Battlefield and, Five here, I, I, I'm not going to say this is a direct correlation because this would be statistically crappy to say. But the very disliked Infinite Warfare trailer that did end up being one of the lower selling Call of Duties in some years. So I, I wonder, you know, if Battlefield Five may dip under Battlefield One at least if if this is not as well received as, as past games, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to fully judge that based on YouTube dislikes, but yeah, it, it's yeah. not like, it doesn't mean anything. And if people are not that into it for whatever reason, like that could end up 
hurting sales. So I'm, I'm curious. I think we need to see a lot more from the game before anyone makes up their mind. Uh, I, I do oh, yeah. think the presentation was confusing, but I, it's, I think it's dumb to base an entire judgment of a game just on like a minute and a half trailer. Well, sure. And I think it was also the presentation, like you said, that was confusing. It was weird to have Trevor Noah. I turned it on like the... midway through and I'm like, what? Is it, is it Trevor Noah? What is that? Daily show? Yeah, no, I was, <laughs> I was very confused, but. Yeah, I mean, and he was kind of funny, but it's always so awkward when they have some kind of host that's like a celebrity host or something and they're kind of joking around about stuff. And it's so, it's also canned and like, you know, it's just, it just, it always, I always feel a little icky yeah, it's watching stuff like that. It's cringy depending. I thought this one was like, okay. I mean, I've definitely seen worse. Yeah, it was ones, okay. But, oh yeah. Yeah. I don't. Okay. So while we're, yeah. while we're wrapping up, should we actually talk about potential gameplay? Cause uh, just in brief, we didn't really oh. see all that much from it. I know you and I oh, are yeah. not really the biggest battlefield or battlefront people. I, I guess what would it take for you to be into this game as opposed to the last ones where you're just not as, as into it? Well, um, I guess I'll just touch on the high points of the presentation because well, there really wasn't much gameplay, but there is um, there are some cool things that they talked about, which are uh, no premium pass, so you don't have to buy maps, which means everyone has access to all the maps, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no pay to win, which was a, the weirdest part of the presentation to me. Trevor Noah asked, is there going to be pay to win? And then they said, no, there's not going to be pay to win. And everyone cheered, and it's like, uh, this isn't something to cheer about. This just shouldn't be yeah, a question. Like, oh, to we're begin not repeating with, the you know? horrible mistake we made that destroyed <laughs> Battlefront Two. Yeah, like no, we're not going to do that same. I, stupid I bet thing if you would have asked okay, them, I bet if you would have asked the the devs like before Battlefront Two came out, if if the game was pay to win, they would have also said no. <laughs> you know, granted, granted, right. I know they're doing a lot of different things here, and it's kind of hilarious to watch EA scramble to this degree to be like, no, 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 no loot boxes, no pay to win, no nothing, like. Um, yeah, it is. It's it's great. Yeah, I love it's, it. It's funny. <laughs> but granted, that's such a weird question to ask. Like every dev is going to say, "No, my game is not pay to win." Like essentially. Right. So. And the funny thing is, is that Battlefield never has been. No, right. You it's know, that's not really been, been an issue. Ever. It's just Battlefront Two freaked so. everyone out so much that <laughs> now they have to clarify that outright. Um, some other cool stuff was. Uh, I mean, some of the things sound really genuinely cool. Grand operations are like operations from the first game where, but they're just, you know, these multi-stage, multi-mode battles that, that um, ultimately can come down to kind of a, a last man standing. Um, there's kits that you can build stuff like fortifications with on the battlefield, which sounds pretty cool. Um, there's co-op. Uh, there's a huge focus on squads now. So when you die, you can just stay. You can just stay right on your like. It doesn't go back to the big map. It just keeps the camera on your squad, and you can respawn right with your squad. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, and in like the operations, um, if you choose not to respawn with your squad, you kind of start back at the beginning. So, but if you choose to respawn with your squad, you keep moving through that operation. Oh, so I see. Okay. there's a lot of like interesting like um, teamwork based things that they've done with this game that sound pretty cool. I don't feel like they really showed that stuff off in the presentation. Like I, d- I don't feel like they like really hyped up the stuff that's cool about this game that much, yeah, and I think that's that kind of weird. Problem. Yeah. So hopefully at E3, which is really just around the corner Thank now, um, we'll get a better portrait of what I'm this sure game entails. Wait, who, who is, who is battlefront like allied with now? Are they an Xbox person? Xbox. Xbox. Yes. Okay. For whatever I reason. Because PS4 bought call of duty now, essentially. And 
I, I lose track of all these deals. <laughs> like some EA games are still like affiliated with PlayStation. I, I don't know. I don't remember, but <laughs> yeah, I just hate all of those deals. They're so stupid. Yeah. There, there's only a few truly awful ones left, but the ones that are there are still awful. Like the destiny deal remains horrible, but <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens at E3, but you know, and then there's a beta deal with these controversies. <laughs> Yeah, um, the the beta I think will be for me a big part of. I mean, and I think for a lot of people, a big part of the purchase. Like, well, I probably won't buy the game because I review games. But if I were to buy the game or not, um, it would the beta would be the final decision because that's going to come sometime before October, probably like August or yeah, September, August, I September. think. Um, and that will give us. I mean, just like with Battlefield One, you got a pretty good sense of what the game was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that worked to Battlefield One's benefit. I think I think that's kind of the purpose of most betas these days. So, although I th- wasn't this beta somehow le- linked to pre-order, or maybe it was like early access to the beta. But that's like I the only remember. pre-order bonus people are like allowed to give anymore without getting in trouble for it. So, yeah. it is so funny that's... to see all the walk back of all this stuff. I I think we reached a tipping point, and people are just dialing it back now. And like, I'm sure they'll come up with some new terrible way to extract money but right now we seem to be in this kind of in-between phase where everyone's like nervously looking at each other like uh what do we do like i don't want to be the next loot box person like and everyone i I swear to god every developer and publisher out there is staring at epic games and thinking how do how do we do that because epic made what three hundred dollars three hundred million dollars last month yes three (laughs) hundred dollars the whole whopping three hundred million dollars last month and they did it without stirring up any sort of controversy yeah, that's you know? amazing. And yeah, and that's not any game sales. That is all microtransactions. That's so crazy. Watch, I mean, yeah, watch, um, watch, that's how Battlefield's going to be with something like that because they don't have a premium pass and they don't have loot boxes or, or maybe they have loot boxes. I don't know if they said I they think didn't. They, but... I think they said they're not doing loot boxes, but okay. I think they might just be flat selling cosmetics. I'm not sure. I, it's probably I mean, a, whatever, a they, they, probably whatever they did with Battlefront 2. Um, yeah. or something similar to that because battlefront 2 the rework took all loot box mechanics paid or free out of that completely so my guess is that's going to be the model for this yeah um, then we'll i, I would them, but i mean i know we've talked about this before but i i think that you know as much as people are trying to copy the battle royale thing and jump on that bandwagon i think people should be copying the battle pass I think that's just as legit a i think thing we're gonna to see it i mean i don't know if it'll work for everyone as we talked about but I, right. I, I definitely think it doesn't hurt to try, and I think it is a better alternative attempt, at least at this point, than being like, hey, we have cosmetic loot boxes, because everyone's just going to groan and roll their eyes and find some way to tear you apart for that. And yeah, now, think- now map packs are pretty much dead, too, between Call of Duty and Battlefield. Like, if those games aren't doing map packs, no one's going to be doing map packs anymore. Good so, riddance. what else? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not mourning that, but, like, what else yeah. do you do besides something like a Battle Pass? So... I'm well, the battle pass is go. so smart. You know, it, it it just it it builds upon what makes things like like in Call of Duty, you're you're, you're playing, you unlock new guns, and you unlock you know all that stuff, and and the, you get rewarded for playing, and that's really what the battle pass in Fortnite does. You know, you've got all these challenges to complete, and you just play, and you earn cosmetics, and you know it's it's that reward of of constantly unlocking new stuff, and there's none of that RNG that makes loot boxes so I mean addictive, but also frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I think I most think- people are just extremely tired of RNG at this point. Like, unless you're playing like a looter, like where RNG is part of like oh, when yeah. things drop, like that's one thing. But if you're literally shelling out cash for loot rewards and it's all based on RNG, 
Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm probably going to write an article soon about like, is it time for Overwatch to ditch this? Like, it, I guess that community right? doesn't seem like super upset about it, but it still feels really weird and dated now. Like, I go in to play the event, and it's like, oh, I'm grinding for loot boxes and the one in eleven chance that I might get the legendary I want. Like, it's it's very weird now, kind of in the in the age of a battle pass where I'd much rather just pay ten bucks for the skin or be able to know what tier like how much i have to grind for that specific thing like it's, it's a strange experience now to go back to loot boxes when so yes. few games are still kind of using them actively well that's a really interesting thing to think about if you think about um overwatch with a battle pass where you play and as you rank up you unlock these skins for these characters you're playing i just love that idea and, and you know and you unlock emotes and sprays and all that other stuff and then and to have you know if Overwatch had seasons that the similar to Fortnite and you unlock stuff it like that I think it, it has competitive games <laughs> well but not just competitive seasons I'm speaking more of like right yeah like for, the whole, for the whole season. game yeah and yes yeah, so I mean if any game could do it it's it's Overwatch because they oh, have yeah. literally every event they literally introduce 100 new cosmetic items which are a mix of skins and sprays and emotes and you know pretty much everything that that Fortnite's doing. I guess they just have to weigh whether they think they'll make, you know, more money from loot box whales or battle pass stuff. You can still whale out on a battle pass if you want, if you want to get it and sure. get all a hundred tiers. But I, I would not be surprised if six months from now that they shifted over to a battle pass system too. But cause I, I think it would be, not only would it, you know, eliminate RNG, but I, I just think it keeps people more engaged with the Absolutely. game. I was going to say the same yeah, thing. It's, it's about an engagement. engagement. It's not, it's, it's not so just much about engagement. Exactly. Absolutely. Like, like when I think about overwatch and I'm like, Oh, there's a new event. And I think, well, I'm either going to go spend like 50 bucks on skins or on, on loot boxes so I can get those skins or I'm going to play. I'm not going to play enough to get enough loot boxes to get what I want basically. And that just turns me off to the whole thing right away. Yeah. And you'd have to, you have to play a lot and, and it's, and then it's all random. Like at least with a battle pass, I can look at the, I can look at it and I can say, okay, well, if I play this much, I'm going to get to this tier. And, you know, it doesn't end at the end of a two week event. I can keep playing throughout that whole 10 weeks and I can keep, you know, completing weekly challenges throughout that whole season. Exactly. And that, that really like allows you to, to sort of play at your own pace to, I don't know. It's just, it's a much better system. It's brilliant yep, that we've really strayed from Battlefield Five. I'm, wa- I'm waiting for the first. Yeah, I know. I'm waiting for the first one of them to be announced. But yes, we have run very long, so we should probably <laughs> get out of here. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, I I'm still sort of when it comes just to sort of wrap up the Battlefield Five. I think there's a lot of good stuff that they're doing, but I'm still confused about what this game actually is, what what kind of tone it has, what what to expect with, you know, and it. It's hard to, to, to know, you know, with going from World War One to World War Two is not a drastic contrast, really. So there's just kind of a, a lot of question, well, it's, question it's marks. It's weird to go from one war to the other and have a big tonal shift when, like, just two years ago, it was, right. like, very serious. And, like, all, I don't know. All I've seen right. is a description that's, quote, unquote, World War Two as you've never seen it before. So whatever that means. Yeah. I, I, right. And they, like, kind of build it as, like, new, like, parts of the war that you've never experienced. But then, like... The trailers in France or Germany or, you know, <laughs> the middle of Europe, like the most traditional possible location, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not like Madagascar or something or like. I think there are parts in Madagascar, actually. <laughs> I think I read okay, that. Okay, well, you know, like yeah. the trailer is, didn't show That's that. True. I didn't get that feeling. I want more information. 
Come on, Dice. Give us more information. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. And uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast one. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is... Tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.